Howdy, folks. This is Scott Parker, and you're listening to episode 51 of the ZappaCast, the official Frank Zappa podcast for it's going to be November of 2021, probably. And in this rather spectacular, gleaming episode, we have some real, real, real treats lined up for you. But allow me to introduce uh, our producer from uh, the Bay Area, Phil Circus. Hey, ZappaCast listeners. <laughs> too kind, too kind. It, and, and of course, where would we be without the man, without whom, without the man, without whom? Yeah, something like that. Joe Travers, the Vaultmeister. <laughs> Drum solo. <laughs> Hello, we're getting into the um, into the fall here, and uh, we've been talking actually for a few minutes before we started recording, so we got all the niceties out of the way. So we're going to jump right into what the big topic is. For this episode, and that's the uh, not particularly small matter of a uh, big, giant, gleaming box set reissue of 200 motels for its 50th anniversary, right? 50th. Yeah. And we had the opportunity to hear the box and hear some of the material on it. And it is a freaking masterstroke, man. I, I, w- I was wondering how you were going to top, you know, things like the hot rat sessions. Oh, that's a hard one to top. That's a hard one to top because that might go down in history as my, oh, it's so hard to say, favorite of the archival projects just by virtue of what it is. But, you know, 200 motels, man. I, I don't even know where to begin. There's so much stuff. There's a lot of stuff. On the box set. You yep. know, 200 Motels is one of my favorite projects of Frank's. I mean, it's just, it's massive. It's, it's, it's such a, a crazy achievement if you really think about how much music is there and not just rock stuff, but orchestral stuff. And the fact that he was able to, in the limited time that he was given, was able to actually make a movie out of all that, get all those people together, actually record that stuff and write all that stuff. I mean, it's huge. Yeah, well, he had about what? By the time he got financing, the financing came in. I think that was only like a few months before shooting started. Mm. I mean, sure, he had time to write the stuff and everything before, but what came together came together very quickly and under very chaotic circumstances. You know, things would happen like, you know, I don't know. Losing your bass player would be one of those. So <laughs> I know, like a, a a week before shooting or something. It's so. I crazy. mean, what do you even do with that? I have no idea. But the the first thing I went for when I went to check the box set out was I went for the uh, remaster of the uh, 1971 soundtrack album, and I've got to say, I mean. You and I have talked, Joe, in the past about how 200 Motels is traditionally thought of as not a very good sounding album. And I think that I was under the assumption that a lot of that had to do with the mastering of the LP and the way that was done. And you actually said that part of that was the issues with the studio that Frank was working at at the time, right? Do you remember that? Yeah, I remember saying that the 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 not so good sounding moments of Frank's career <laughs> came yes. out of came out of a certain time period out of Whitney Studios in Glendale when he was mixing in 1971 out of there. He had uh, Toby Foster and Barry Keane and they were simultaneously working on the Fillmore East 
album, mixing the, you know, the, the Fillmore East tapes and working on 200 motels at the same time. And they just had a sound set up in that room at that time that, that was very awkward sounding to me. Like I hear a lot of the, um, the vault mixes and, and stuff and, yeah, it doesn't make sense to me that that would be considered something that would work, <laughs> you know, <laughs> considering considering Frank was such a stickler for Sonics. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, it, it 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 is what it is. I mean, they were mixing the, the John and Yoko stuff at that time, too. I mean, yep. they were they were working on a lot of stuff in 1971 when when Frank wasn't on the road. And the sound that they were coming up with coming out of that studio at that time just wasn't wasn't amazing. And so unfortunately, the Fillmore East album and um, the Two Hundred Motels album are two of the records that suffer from that. But I think that with this new remastering, that Two Hundred Motels has definitely been given an improvement for sure. Oh, big time! I hear yes. judicious use of uh, equalization because to me, the original pressings of the album, and I, I first got it in the eighties, and I got a very crappy later MCA vinyl pressing mm-hmm. and it was oh, it was atrocious but you know I always think of it as very mid-range heavy you know and it doesn't really have that much low end no not much low not much high it just kind of there it sits there right and it sounds so much better now <laughs> yep well, and this is the second time you reissued it too right you did it in the 90s well we didn't do that we didn't have anything to do with the uh the remaster that happened in the 90s that was ah. um Ryko disc and uh toby mountain they got their hands on the original tapes and made a new remaster and um yeah i remember you know listening to that and saying to myself Okay, I I don't want the new remaster to sound like that. So, <laughs> so you know, Bernie Grunman, of course, is somebody that we love and respect so much, and we're so happy that we work with Bernie. And Bernie was the man to do this project for sure. And I remember telling him that I wanted to hear more "quote unquote" energy in this new remaster. Yes. <laughs> I wanted it to sound like it just finally had some balls, you know. Yeah. And uh and I he absolutely delivered. Oh yeah, I mean that it's a good thing you told me that you didn't have anything to do with the 90s CD pressing because I didn't really like it either. <laughs> that didn't really sound that much better than the album. Not, you know, it certainly didn't sound any better than an original American vinyl pressing, which, you know, again, doesn't sound that good. So I just want to be clear, though. Do you think it was tied to the mastering? That's why it wasn't sounding so good? Or was it also kind of a, a mixing? At it's Whitney? a combination of both. Okay. Mm. Yeah, it's a combination of both. I mean, the mixing, you know, that's a lot of stuff to mix together. Orchestral stuff is not easy to mix. And um, I think that the mix just is just, again, a mix. The mix is a product of what was happening at that studio at that time. But the mastering has definitely helped it. There's no doubt this new remaster has definitely helped it. And uh, another thing that you should know is that um, the digital, like the CD and the streaming and all that stuff is 
a little bit more, let's say, hyped up than the actual LP mastering. If you buy the LP, it will be a little bit more towards what the original LP sounds like. So that dynamics. Yeah, the yeah, the dynamics that you get on the digital version, the extra energy that I had mentioned before is not so prevalent in the LP because we wanted the LP to kind of just be like the original, which, you know, obviously isn't unbelievable, but with the new chain, the mastering chain and stuff, it it actually it actually sounds really nice. It sounds really good and it's coming out on black vinyl and red vinyl too. There's a red vinyl variant that'll yes. be coming out. Yeah. I'm going to need both, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like this has always been such a a rich, amazing album that was always, you know, the enjoyment of it was hampered because of that sound quality issue. Mm-hmm. I was so relieved to hear <laughs> when you sent the tracks over and right away, the vocals seemed like they had real space in the mix for the first time. Yep. So oh, that, yeah. that really stuck out. And so it was so great to hear Mark and Howie like that. Yeah, absolutely. And the, I, I think I would have to say that the Fillmore East album is the worst sounding album of the entire Zappa catalog. I would have mm. to say that. Even yeah. even the stuff that was recorded on 4-track in the early days sound better to me than the Fillmore East album, mm. which is incredible because that's coming from 16-track masters, you know? Yeah. But the I think Two Animal Tells sounds better to me than the Fillmore album, even the original pressings. It does you know? now. Yes. Yeah, but now it yeah, now it definitely does. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I have something I'm very curious about as a bass player. Now, Jeff Simmons and Frank, though on this box set, those are the two bass players, am I right? Well, you actually hear what Martin Lickard played live on some of this stuff too. I because about um that. there's a whole disc and a half dedicated to some reels that we found in the vault that were labeled dialogue reels. Mm-hmm. And basically, it reflects an early edit of the film. And when you listen to it, it's great because you can hear some things that's not in the film and not in the soundtrack. And uh, the way that it, the order in which it's presented is is unique as well. It's kind of like if you really enjoyed Meat Light and listening to the original sequence of Uncle Meat in Meat Light. This is another example of that where you get to hear a work in progress and you hear the way that Frank was shifting the building blocks. But another thing about those dialogue reels is that you get to hear the music performed without overdubs. And, you know, because Frank took the masters into Whitney and started sweetening and and recording his bass parts and vocal overdubs and uh, Ian uh, recording Ian on the pipe organ and reeds and and woodwinds and, and all sorts of stuff on top of all that stuff. But you don't hear any of that on the dialogue reels you hear what was performed when they were when they did it at pinewood studios raw you know in mono yeah wow (laughs) it's revealing that's what i was gonna ask you that's all pinewood huh yeah that stuff's all pinewood yeah that's incredible yeah i picked out some things in there that i i was like what is that and then it's something i've obviously i mean a lot of it is stuff we haven't heard before but you know like i'd pick out a scene that obviously got cut at some point. And, you know, it's so important to have that stuff because as we know, the footage that was shot 
was thrown away except for the stuff that wound up in the movie. Yeah. So, you know, was erased, like literally erased. What our studio audience doesn't know is that the reason Larry the Dwarf is doing all this stuff is because it's all part of the score to 200 motels. Every word, every action, the lamp, the reproductive orifice, it's all in the score, so he has to do it. Hey, you know, uh, here's a geeky, super nerdy uh, thing that you guys will discover. (laughs) The version on the dialogue reels of what will this evening bring me this morning is that the first one or the second that, what one? will this morning bring me this evening okay so the 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 one where it's uh in the film it's not on the soundtrack this way but in the film it's very slow it's really yes. it's really beautiful it's just a very ballady kind of approach to the song right So that is on the dialogue reel. So for the first time, we get to hear that version of that song that released song. right from the film. That's like, that's like that. Yep. But if you listen really close, when the band comes in, Ainsley's snare drum broke. And <laughs> really? that was very typical, very typical of snare drums back then. The strainer is being held yeah. by two pieces of rope. And sometimes the rope would wear out and, and the fall off. And then the next thing you know, you don't have a strainer. It, that was very common back then. And wow. so that, what I assume, because we can hear when Ainsley starts playing in that song, that the snare is, is busted. It's not, it's not, the strainer's not on. Or yeah. he just decided to record it with it off. I don't know why he would do that, but I don't think he did. So anyway, on the dialogue reels, Frank cuts to, in the middle of that performance, he cuts to the Whitney Studios demo sessions to fill out the rest of that oh, song. Wow. <laughs> wow. So you'll be able to hear little things like that, you know, like uh, it's 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 crazy. Do you, do you note that in the liner notes? No, that's why I figured I'd tell you <laughs> that's guys. That's a Zappacast exclusive. <laughs> okay. Staying in the same vein as a broken snare. Yeah. Am I hearing a squeaky bass drum pedal on Daddy You absolutely Daddy? are. Okay. <laughs> And that's another. Where, where so, are you so, it? listeners, that's how good the set sounds. Now you can hear, yeah, <laughs> like especially bass. listen at the beginning of "Daddy, Daddy, Daddy." You'll hear the squeaky uh, bass drum pedal, and that that is a Ludwig <laughs> Speed King pedal, which John Bonham used, and lots of yep. people used. That was like the industry standard pedal in, back in the old days, and it was more like noto- Squeak King. <laughs> it was notorious for squeaking. You can listen if you have Ze- Led Zeppelin three. And if you yep. listen to um, uh, what's that blues? Uh, Scott, what's the blues song on? Oh, that? since so, I've been looking, yeah. yeah, total Ludwig Speed King squeak on that sucker, <laughs> total. And yeah, oh my god, it's all over, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. Listen to the beginning and, of that. And would you like a snack? I hear it there. Yeah. And I was thinking, <laughs> why? Why am I hearing the John Bottom squeak in this? Yeah. Exactly. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now you know why.
Hopefully, MGM will do something in the future. You know, obviously, the way it was shot and the technology that was used, it's only going to look so good, you know. But it would be really interesting to see how good it could possibly look because... You know, Peter Jackson presents enough. 200 motels. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah. That's what we need. We need Peter Jackson and Disney Plus to get together and do a six hour, you know, a little mini series thing about 200 motels, <laughs> the making of 200 motels. Here's another thing. <laughs> that movie was meant to be manually cropped at the theaters when you see it. Hmm. It's a European widescreen format. Mm-hmm. And you are supposed to manually crop that four, three image. And we were prepared to do that for the Blu-ray. It would be the first time that the movie would be released in the proper aspect ratio that the composer intended, because it's not supposed to be four, three. Yeah. And it's not supposed to be 16, nine, because if you stretch it into 16, nine, it looks like shit. Yeah. So that's not what you're supposed to do. Um, And we were prepared to, to do that. But again, Unfortunately, we we didn't get the opportunity, but um, hopefully someday. Yeah, well, that MGM is notoriously and has been over the years, right? Notoriously difficult where it comes to this movie. It's like this movie is cursed. The actual movie itself is cursed. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, that's what happens when Frank gives up control of of a project to get it done. Although he had no choice, and you know, let's call it what it is right but you know for six cds i mean you (laughs) you can't possibly argue with what's on here the the vast lion's share of which has never been heard by anybody and honestly i had no freaking idea that that much stuff existed in the vault for this project such a massive project as it is well it's it's pretty amazing to think about the sheer amount of music that was recorded for the project in in its Mm -hmm. entirety and we get to hear almost every single thing that was recorded. And, you know, the highlights of the box are um, to be able to hear the pieces like what's the name of your group and yes. and the pleated gazelle together yes. in their entirety, uncut, you know, everything. And you'll notice that when you're listening to um, those pieces that you'll sometimes hear blank spots. Mm-hmm. And those blank spots are where dialogue was supposed to be because there's narrate narration. <laughs> so if you listen to the Disney Hall performance, you know, the Esapeka Salonen thing, you'll be able to hear what that dialogue is because it, it was done properly then. And, uh, you know, uh, from the shooting script, but they didn't even get a chance to do that. Uh, at the Pinewood sessions, they never were, they never finished it because they just totally ran out of time. Hey, ZappaCast listeners. We hope you're enjoying our chat with the Vaultmeister. We have more of that coming up, but now we have a couple of special treats. First is an excerpt of an upcoming ZappaCast featuring the one and only Pamela DeBar, who not only was in 200 Motels the movie, but she also wrote the unbelievable liner notes for the new box. We're going to follow that clip with another excerpt from a soon-to-drop ZappaCast featuring bass man and the voice of Billy the Mountain, Jim Pons. 
After that, we're back with the Vaultmeister and more clips from the soon-to-be-released 200 Motels box set. Now, here's Pamela Debar. So we had the opportunity to hear um, the 200 Motels box, and we had the opportunity to read your liner notes. Yay! And they are incredible, of course. Best and, liner uh, notes written of anything. It was so good. <laughs> Thank you. You know, it, it always helps to have been a participant rather than yes. hearing it from someone else. So, you know, I, I always like to write about myself because I was there. <laughs> That's right. You were kind of everywhere, actually. But, yeah, you certainly were there at Pinewood and you went through that whole thing. And, you know, the liner notes are just incredible. Like you, they really do bring you there. Oh, good. That was my... That was the reason I really was happy Amit asked me to do that because I did want to bring people there. It was a a world unto itself, you know, a brief (laughs) world that, you know, will never come again. (laughs) But it's on record and it's on film and I'm really happy about that. Yeah. There's some really nice unseen photos, too, in the package uh, of you, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. Which is really great. You know, know, stuff that that was shot on set during Mm -hmm. the filming and all that stuff. and. Okay. Yeah, it's 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 a really nice package. It's a it's a great way to celebrate, you know, the fiftieth anniversary of this 50th thing. I know, isn't it crazy? Fifty years, but uh, you know, if if anything, Pamela, you are even more beautiful now. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you know, Zoom is very uh, flattering. Have you noticed, have you noticed that about Zoom? <laughs> so I have a, a question. When you did that whole thing, the two hundred tells thing, I think I got this impression from the liners. But was that the first time that you actually met Keith Moon? Yes. Ah, oh, yeah. really? Oh, yeah. Okay. And he, we hit it off so much, he became one of my main dudes. Yes. Yes. <laughs> he carried me off the set. Right. At the end, yeah. <laughs> much to the jealousy of Howard Kalen, which is hilarious too. You know, he, he writes about that in his book. He was like, "I was so jealous." <laughs> Well, he and I had a real thing going too, you know, yep. we really did. But at this, at that time I was seeing two other men. Yes. So I didn't wind up with Keith at that point. It was about probably a year later when he came to town with the who and called the house when I was living with the Zappas looking yes. for me. I know that Gail really loved Keith. Honestly, she always told me that he was one of her absolute favorites. He stayed there with me one, one morning, you know, I would stay up literally all night with him and, and there was a little intercom in my guest house and moon would, you know, it's time for breakfast. And I'm like, Oh my God, I just laid down and I had to go in there and make the, her, her and Dweezil's breakfast. And Keith got up one morning and came in there with me and entertained those kids. Like they've probably never been entertained before. <laughs> I believe it. Oh yeah. my gosh. That's amazing. So you'd never run across the who? Prior to that, because they, by the time 71 rolls around, they'd had Tommy. They were, you know, you could make the argument that they were the biggest live band around at that point. That maybe wasn't the stone. You know, I I had not actually seen them, no. And I had my other favorites. You know, I, I would, I, you know, you can't do everything. That's true. As much, as much as I tried. But of course, then I became a, a big fan of The Who after that. And in fact, he took me on stage with him when they did Tommy at, at Universal, I think it was in LA and he wouldn't let me be on the side of the stage. I had to stand next to the drum kit for the entire show. 
inspiration. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, people, people, you know, they disparage the word groupie, but you know, I am uh, groupies are very important to these men. Absolutely. And women. And, you know, there are also male groupies, not as many, but uh, yeah, I, he wanted me there because he, he just did. And no matter what I said, just kind of, kind of stand over here. Nope. Right here, right here. So the, so the, that audience got to see me the whole time. Yes. Yes. I wish there were some photos. I'd love to see photos of that. For sure. There must sure. be some. You haven't run be... into anything like that. No, but I keep, you know, I keep people keep sending me interesting pictures through the years, you know, that I've never seen. I, yeah. I can't wait to see these 200 motels ones. Yeah, this it's 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 really nice. <laughs> When you were playing uh, with the leaves and the turtles, and you were occasionally crossing paths with with Frank, what did you think about his, the mother's music back then? I I thought it was strange, <laughs> unapproachable. Frankly, it wasn't to my liking. I really did like the guys, though. I thought they were really nice guys. They were scary looking, but <laughs> yeah. they were nice people. Jimmy Carl Black, funniest guy I ever met. Don Preston, the nicest guy I ever met. Yep. Ian Underwood. All those guys were great. But I didn't care for his music. I was raised on Louie Louie, and he was uh, he was an exotic composer of avant-garde stuff. And So that's where it kind of sat with you. And then you get this call from Mark and Howard saying... Will you join the band? What were you thinking, you know, at that time? Like, I guess 1971. You know what? And I'm going to tell you something I've never told anybody else. The first thing I thought of was, because I've never said this, but I used to date Gail, his wife. Really? Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, I say I used to. We had a couple dates. We went out to dinner once, and I took her to see a Leaves show once in Santa Barbara. And I always wondered if I was in trouble. With Frank. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can understand that. <laughs> yeah. So I was surprised that, uh, but I knew him and I liked him. I liked him personally very much. And apparently he liked me. I guess he thought I was capable of playing in his band because, yeah, Mark, Mark called me one day and said, Frank, he wanted me to come to London, but I couldn't because my passport was expired and you would have went to London for 200 motels. Is the- yes. Yeah, okay. I always yeah. wondered about that because they wound up with Martin Lickert, who was, as you know, of course, everybody knows, was Ringo Starr's driver, Ringo being in the 200 motels movie. And, um, you know, the having Martin in the band, even though he was sort of a bass player, was sort of an act of desperation. I'd always wondered why they didn't just call you right away, but they did. Yeah. By the way, I've heard, I don't know if it's true or not, but the guy who played Paul's grandfather in Hard Day's Night was also. I was thinking yes. that right before you said it, Jim, because I always Bramble. wondered. Yeah, well, that's true. What yeah. if that actually happened? That's almost unimaginable. <laughs> I know. He was there, I, I think, for true. like three or four days. And was then he just, as Frank said, completely freaked out <laughs> and left. Oh, okay. Oh, is that right? Okay. Well, yes. I, be- I believe that. Yeah, Frank said it in an interview. I wound up on the 200 Motels soundtrack when. They got home from London, and I played the voice of uh, Jeff Simmons. I played the voice of his bad conscience. Yes. And I told him to start his own band and get as big as... Uh, Black Sabbath was one of yeah, them. Yes, uh, actually, something like that. <laughs> but uh, Frank gave me a lot of chances on the, on the recordings to 
to be humorous. Please subscribe to Zappacast and you'll be the first to know when these full conversations with Pamela Debar and Jim Pons come out. Now, let's return to our 200 Motels extravaganza featuring Joe Waltmeister Travers. All right, sorry, Phil. I'm taking, uh, I've taken over too much of the Oh, no. Because all of my questions are ridiculous. Like, are there any pictures of Wilford Bramble holding a bass? <laughs> no. <laughs> he didn't last long enough, I don't think, in order for any of that stuff to happen. But that I mean, would have been so cool, don't you think? <laughs> yeah. That he was cool. gone within, what, a day or two? A couple days, probably. He wasn't remembering the lines, and he just couldn't handle the project. Yeah. <laughs> Could you match? Yeah. I mean, it would have been funny, but... They still would have needed a bass player of some kind, you know. I mean, isn't it isn't it crazy to think that that Martin Lickert not only was the perfect person for the role, but he also could play the friggin' bass? I mean, bass that is like it's like God just handed, you know, (laughs) Frank a get out of jail free card. Like when he walked in the room, he was just like, "Here you go, man. I'll I'll handle the situation for you." You know, it's like wow. Yeah. Well, you know, because he would have been. I mean, you know, frankly, he would have been fucked if. You know, if not, yeah, because, you know, where do you get where do you get a bass player that can, you know, and there's footage, you know, that we we've seen it in the the true story of 200 motels and also in the VPRO documentary where that footage came from of uh, Ian teaching Martin these these bass parts like Mm -hmm. in um, think the song is strictly genteel. And it's amazing, you know, what he was presented with and what he could do with that material. So, you know. Lots of credit to Martin Lickard. And not only that, but he wasn't an actor. He was Ringo's driver. So for him to, you know, yeah, be an actor, you know, oh, man, that must have been incredibly intimidating. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. You know, like they just, you know, the story was I'm sure you guys obviously know the story, but um, Martin Lickard went out to get cigarettes for Ringo and came back and they were the band was talking about whether they're going to do now because Wilford Bramwell had left the sessions and liquor comes in and they just go you so <laughs> yeah you know according to the uh, liner notes that patrick pending wrote in the Ryko disc version which by the way we um duplicated in this upcoming package oh um, good he says that uh, noel redding actually uh auditioned but didn't get the part really yeah oh, wow yeah wow yep because he had done, you know, he'd been on stage with the mothers at the Royal Albert Hall in 69. So that would have made total sense. Yep. Yep. Was he that bad of an actor? Or he's certainly an astonishing yep. bass player. Frank, Frank didn't feel like he was right for the part, I guess. So. Huh. That's amazing. So listen. Hmm. We should get together yeah. sometime. Have a jam. Hey, play some blues. <laughs> Extensions. Did you ever talk to Jeff Simmons about the circumstances of his departure you must have no but i've talked with jeff simmons a bunch of times because yeah. um he was at the roundhouse in 2000 i think that was 2010 yeah, I 2010 mm-hmm. yeah and you know i had the opportunity to hang with jeff a little bit i mean he's hilarious yes. you know he's he's a handful but he's hilarious and uh <laughs> and you know he was he was great to be around but no i didn't get into it with him about that but I mean, it's fairly obvious. I mean, he just could not wrap his head around saying and doing those things. He, it was just too much of a head trip for him to be able to say the lines that he was saying in real life. He just couldn't handle it. <laughs> but, you know, here's another thing about the box set. If you listen really close, um, there's alternate versions of 
almost every single song on the thing. Yep. And um, there's an alternate ending of the 200 Motels finale where the band kind of gets into a jam. You can hear them. Yeah. You can hear them actually rocking out for a little while. And um, Howard is still on the mic, you know, just free form. And one of the things you hear him say is, hello, Jeff Simmons. He's like, Herbie's not going to break your legs or anything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. That is classic. Oh, God. Yeah. And that was live at Pinewood, right? Yeah. So, so that had just happened. One of the things about disc five and half of disc six is that you are, I believe, now in the alternates and outtakes. And we presented it in a way that it's in the order of the shooting script. So you get to hear the audio presented in the way in which Frank originally had envisioned the film to happen according to the shooting script. So that's wow. so that's how we put that together. And then you get the original soundtrack remastered. You get to hear the 200 Motels Whitney demos, which has been bootlegged in the past. But you also get to hear outtakes from those sessions, the band talking and some really funny stuff, some some alternate versions of Road Ladies, totally different take of yep. Road Ladies. And um, oh, tell me you love me. And, and just a bunch of really, really cool things. There's one section of what kind of girl do you think we are section where, you know, that whole thing, a partial list of, yes. of clubs to go get laid when you're on the road. Well, there's yeah. one section that Ainsley had that Frank took out for the demo. Really? And so we found it. So we put that in. Not only do we have the part that he took out, but we also have an alternate take of that part, too. <laughs> so it's super funny. Anyway, so that's that's what's on those the first two discs and then there's a lot of great bonus features there's a lot of great like interview segments of mm -hmm. that we got from Ringo talking about his um thanks to uh Simon Prentice who interviewed um Ringo in 2000 in the 2000s we were, yeah. we were able to get that and then we got some snippets um from some stuff in the vault of Frank talking about working with orchestras and and all that stuff and a bunch of just oddities you know just a bunch of things in the vault that we found that were, you know, period perfect for the project that were the only way that we would ever have this stuff is if we were to find them on two track mixdown reels because yeah. the original multi-tracks are gone. So Really? Yeah, the original yeah, the, the original multi-track reels are completely gone. And so whatever uh. whatever that they put down to reel to reel or or anything during the production, that's all that there is. And thankfully, there was a lot. Wow. Yeah. My God. Yeah, there's an amazing amount of stuff, but I don't think I ever knew that the multi-tracks are gone. Yes, they are. Sad. Oh, wow. So that means you could never remix the record. 
it is what it is. Yep, it is what it is. And yep. here's another note of interest for you. We wanted to get the original tapes from MGM so that we could do an analog cut for the vinyl, do a complete, yeah. completely strict analog cut like we always do. And then also we wanted to remaster from the original tapes. And unfortunately, MGM could not give us the tapes. Really? Yeah. They couldn't find them or they just wouldn't? They just couldn't. Oh, no. So as of now, we don't know where those tapes are, which is such a bummer because they were probably returned after the Disc thing in 1997 when they were lent out then those tapes were used to make that cd that's right Ah. oh no isn't that unbelievable wow such a bummer that's a yeah that's a terrible bummer yep so you think that they were returned or they just kind of went missing (laughs) quote unquote after the production of that cd no idea Oh, my God. <laughs> but thank God Frank had safeties in the vault. Yeah, well, that's what I always say, you know, like when I say that the project is cursed you know, to a certain extent. Yeah. That's the weird shit that happens. What was that piece that I heard that was... Um, Phyllis Alton House and Ainsley and the uh, and of course, you know, the famous uh, he wants her to beat him with a toilet brush. Yes. Thing. Yes. <laughs> yes. Now, that was part of 200 motels because we know that's part of Uncle Me. Well, no, what I, I, Frank just inserted that into that demo. He just, oh, my he, God. That's yeah. So funny. <laughs> just for fun. Yeah. But it is <laughs> hilarious. It's so great. Yeah. Is that the thing that um, was on the original 2LP track list that we know about for uh, Chunga's Revenge? Just uh, I think it's called Isn't That Getting Your Kidneys or something like that. That's an outtake <laughs> from the same exact same exact <sighs> session. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yep. There are a couple of tracks that say compressed version. Yeah. And I was wondering, what were they compressed for? Well, uh, it's just that the Shove It In suite uh shove it right in sweet um yep. he was just you know toying with different sound in the studio for mixing mm-hmm. and there are certain sections of the soundtrack album that are compressed uh, there's certain things like certain sections of strictly genteel mm-hmm. and certain sections of what will this evening bring me this morning that are that are compressed that he used for an effect and he just used that compression for those three things Mm-hmm. And uh, he didn't release them like that, but you know they were there, and they they sounded really good to me. So I thought it was just a cool um, variation on uh, sonically. And did I hear? Because I you know I've been w- with this music for all of less than two hours. Did I hear uh, a version of Strictly Genteel that had the uh, Inca Rhodes slash Little House guitar line melody in there? Mm -hmm. That's right. That I just heard that and I had to stop and like my jaw went to the floor and it was amazing. And that was really hard for them to do. Uh, The rock band and the orchestra drift so much that they they couldn't keep in sync Mm. during that during that part, and so that's why it wasn't uh, included at all. 
so yeah that was that was one of those instances where uh the rock band if the rock band's playing with the orchestra it's very easy for the for them to to not be together even if the even if the conductor is going for it you know and trying to keep it all together the forces of the music just sometimes it it's hard to to get those two separate entities to talk to each other and i can remember uh scott you'll enjoy this in 1991 when i was a student at berkeley i my first time ever going to new york city was to go see one of the zappa's universe shows yes and joel thom was conducting uh you know the orchestra and i remember during waka jawaka that that same exact thing happened where he's yes. he's busting a sweat man he's He's up there conducting, you know, like crazy. <laughs> and the rock band and the orchestra were just completely <laughs> on other planets, man. <laughs> and I was sitting there going, oh, my God, what a train wreck, man. Mm. So it happens, you know, it just happens. Yeah. Excellent example. So, wow, that's fascinating because I have yet to hear that Inca Rhodes, you know, the two chord vamp and the, yeah. yes, I have yeah. yet to hear that. Now I'm completely... Well, that two, by that, that two chord vamp was also used in Holiday in Berlin mm-hmm. in 1970. That's actually where it comes from, yes. And the the Inca Rhodes theme, you know, if you listen to the the version that's on Burnt Weenie Sandwich, which I think the guitar solo was recorded at the Ark, maybe in '69, right? And uh, you can hear a little bit of of that melody. And I wonder, I always wondered, this is totally off topic, but if he orchestrated or or wrote that melody, you know, just based on what he was playing in the guitar solo on that album. You know what's interesting about that? I, I find that there are certain guitar vamps solo sections for songs where Frank has signature guitar licks in mm-hmm. his head that are literally for those certain guitar solo vamps like certain licks in Inca Rhodes, certain licks in um, Treacherous Cretans and certain licks in Pick Me I'm Clean. You you can just hear, you know, you can just hear that there's thematic things per the tune that he always inserts. It's like the Pick Me I'm Clean solo always seems to have these same little things and like launching points or, or in some cases, you know, resolution you know kind of point just little things to touch on yeah and i think that that melody line for inca roads that you hear every time it's used you know you can mm-hmm. hear it on bert Winnie sandwich you can hear it in the fillmore tapes um you know i'm sorry in 1970 the fillmore stuff you know yes and then yeah. you can hear it in this in in the yes. uh, in the turn of hotels you can hear that melody being played almost every single time you know it's like it's just connected to it Oh, That's, and then and then and then he used that same vamp to open up the '76 shows, FZOs. Yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what they called that ink and art vamp. That was right? Gale, that's, Gale, that's what Gale called it. Gale styled, yeah. <laughs> I know a lot of these projects that you you um, put out are like years in the making. 
how long have you been working on? This seems like yeah. such an incredible project. This definitely was years. There's no doubt. It took years. Yeah. Um, just like, uh, for instance, the Freak Out Mofo box set, you know, the mm -hmm. making a Freak mm -hmm. Out. I would work on them in like phases because if I got fixated on 200 hotels and I would start working on it, then, you know, of course, Gail would be like, I need you to do this and I need you to do that. And I would get off it and then I would have to, you know, get redirected. So it literally, you know, I would get back onto it within years. It would take years. So it wasn't like I just grinded it all out at once. I mean, all the transfers for the box set were made over a period of years. And so, you know, I just collected wow. them all in one place and then, you know, started working on how I was going to sequence it all. And yeah, it's a lot of stuff. It is. <laughs> it's a lot of stuff. Well, we're, we're grateful for your work. Thank you. I am so excited about this set. Yeah, me it's, too. Yeah. It's one of my favorite uh, projects of Frank's, you know, and I'm really happy that this thing exists. Hopefully it'll stay in print for a while. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you, yeah. they tend to sell out. Um, somebody that I know emailed me and he was heartbroken because the Halloween 77 boxes, they're gone, you know. And yeah. I know you can't just do another print run of that because, you know, they weren't uh, physical CDs anyway. But, you know, with the costume and everything, it's just and now they're going for like four hundred dollars on discount. Wow, it's, really? It's crazy. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So. It's amazing how much these things go for. So, you know, this is this is what I want to impart to our listeners is, you know, if for any reason you're thinking that, you know, you might want to hold off until you can afford this, get a second mortgage, for God's sake. I mean, you know, like these things aren't around forever. Yeah, it's it's, <laughs> it's true. It seems that it seems that you have to get them while they're out, because otherwise, if you wait a few years, you're going to you're going to miss out. I mean, you'll be able to hear them. Uh, you yeah. know, you'll be able to stream them and all that stuff. But in order to get them on CD and get the quality of CD, not that I mean, like sometimes these things are, are being available on high res. And I do believe that 200 Motels box is going to be available high res on Cobas and, and, and other high res streaming outlets. So that's good yeah. that there will be a high res version of the box set. But in order to physically have this stuff, if you want to physically have it, you have to get it. Uh, now not later mm -hmm. otherwise you'll be paying out the ass for this shit yeah you will <laughs> no one wants that no. <laughs> especially something like this you know this is like you know of all the albums that needed this kind of rehabilitation in the catalog i think 200 motels probably would have been at the top of my list it just you know it really needed this and you know this treatment far exceeds you know, I know that there's some people going, well, there's no Blu-ray of the movie. Uh, fuck that. There's, you know, like this is six CDs of some of the greatest music that Frank ever committed to tape. Just unbelievable amount of stuff. You know, talk about rabbit holes. You could fall into this. Yeah. Stay there for quite some time. Changes your perspective on it, I think. It really also lets you realize just how, I mean, amazing. It's just another, another example of how amazing Mark and Howard were. Yes. Because they just, I mean, could you imagine in, in, in just the two years that they were with Frank, I mean, literally it was like a year and eight, nine months or something, right? Yep. Something like that. That's right. The amount of music that they memorized and script that they memorized mm -hmm. for that film, if you look at every single thing, and then also like Billy the Mountain and how it 
how it morphed over time. And if you listen to the Carnegie Hall version and all the extra stuff that got thrown in with the, uh, you know, with the like the 12 days of Christmas thing that was going on there, you know, there's like all that that stuff. Oh, God. And they were flawless. They were flawless. I mean, they were so incredible. They were such incredible characters and singers and 200 motels again is yet another example of how how amazing those two were with frank yeah i you know i just just billy the mountain alone i mean my that's my daughter's favorite zappa piece <laughs> and you know every now and then she'll just she'll just say to me let's listen to billy the mountain okay and she said you know was that written that way or are they go you know kind of making it up as they go along? i said no that was completely controlled and it, you know, for the most part, and they, uh, you know, they did it the same way every night. She's like, how? I said, well, <laughs> there you go. That's Mark and Howard. <laughs> yeah. It, it, the, the memory uh, retention is, is, is incredible with those guys. They, they really put the time in. They really delivered, you know? Yeah. And considering the amount of pot they smoked, you know, according to Howard. <laughs> yep. That's... <laughs> That that is uh you know that's an impressive achievement by anybody's yardstick. He said to oh, help yeah. them remember for some reason. <laughs> yeah. or, I don't know. In Howard's book, he was like, <laughs> "Yeah, did he say that? I can't." remember. He proved to Frank that smoking pot wouldn't affect his memory because he could get those parts flawlessly. Yeah, no shit. Well, you couldn't argue with him. I mean, if he's trying to prove that to you, I would say he did. <laughs> I wanted to ask about the demos, actually. What what were the demos? Were the demos made for the band or was were they made for a United Artist? I don't really know if they were made specifically to de- to be a demo, but it most likely was shopped to United Artist from that music. And that stuff was recorded at Whitney Studios. That was when Jeff Simmons was still on the band. Yep. And uh, what's sad is that we don't have the multitracks of that stuff in the vault. We only so have mix downs. Yeah, we only have the mixes, and that's it. And that's interesting to think that uh, we don't have the multitracks for some stuff in the vault. And this is definitely one of them. But um, yeah, this is it's been bootlegged before, so that means that somehow or other it's been out there, and maybe it's because it was sent to United Artists that that's how it leaked. But um, I was definitely uh, surprised to see that there was an actual recorded version of Naval Aviation in Art. Yes. Oh, I didn't. I can't believe is, I didn't just start with that. Yeah, because that's that's crazy <laughs> that the, that wow. that that, yeah. that that appeared. The first recording of that. If you are if you are like a total maniac for this film, the box set is really revealing because like in the case of Centerville, you get to hear some extra dialogue bits that's not in the soundtrack and not in the and not in the film either. It's it's crazy. You know, this this these little things pop up here and there like at the end of Centerville on the alternates 
version, which is on disc five, there's a whole little passage at the end of the song that's completely unreleased. Like the unreleased just, music? Yep, you'll, yes, unreleased music. You will find wow. little parts of the compositions that didn't, you know, that were edited out uh, of the soundtrack in the film. You'll you'll hear all of it here in the in the box set. And there's they're always popping up. Like for instance, if you are a hardcore lather person or leather, if you like the leather album. You know how there's those little links in between the songs? Yep. Like on yep. Duck, yep. Duck, Goose, for instance. Well, there's this one thing where you hear Patrick O'Hearn playing this bass line that goes, right? Well, if you listen behind that bass line, you will hear a string section. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, that is... In the 200 Motels box. That was recorded <laughs> in the 200 Motels box. It's part, And I'm not even going to spoil it. You'll just have to find it. <laughs> oh, my God. This box is, is sick with gems. It's littered right. with gems. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's right. Yep. Oh, my God. Little I things. can't wait for it. I can't wait for the packaging, the book that's going to be in it. Like, I just. It's going to be a really, it's going to be really fun. <clears throat> ZappaCast, the official Frank Zappa podcast, is made in cooperation with the Zappa Trust. For the latest Zappa news and more, visit Zappa.com. We're also on Instagram and Twitter at at Zappa. ZappaCast is created by and is hosted by Scott Parker. Our producer is Phil Circus. Special thanks to Joe Vaultmeister Travers and everyone at the Zappa Trust and Zappa Records. This podcast and all the musical selections contained therein are copyrighted worldwide by the Zappa Trust. All rights reserved and until next time. Good night, boys and girls. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Mothers of Invention. I'm Frank, and here's Jim. Say hello, Jim. Hello, people. And this is uh, Howard. Hi, Say hello folks. again, Jim. That wasn't Hello, very... everybody out there. Okay. Hot beats. <laughs> this is Howard. Hi there. This is Mark. Hello. Okay, here's the deal. We have this movie that we just finished called 200 Motels. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Boy, is it neat, too.